if we are adding, you know, two dozen new homes because we're building a six-story building, we're building a three-story building or whatever, um, but we aren't allowing them to have, you know, that coffee shop, that bagel shop at the base of the building, they're going to have to travel farther and that's going to increase the amount of traffic that we have instead of just allowing us to co-locate homes and businesses um, in order to let people just walk. The, the sort of creating community spaces. We've talked about allowing commercial, but I think that, um, you know, when we talk about coffee shops and uh, and the like, it really is about that sort of third space where people can can go and meet people in their, in their neighborhood. And we don't have a lot of those um, deliberately because of this 1963 vision of how people are going to get around. This is a real, real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. None of you have the balls to stop. Stop this. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 Okay, this is the Wedge Live podcast. I'm your host, John Edwards. Today we're doing an episode about the Minneapolis. You thought the Minneapolis 2040 plan was done, or maybe you thought it was thrown out in a lawsuit, but no, it's another stage of implementation. They're doing the land use, cities doing the land use rezoning part. It's open for public comment, which was, I'm hearing that it was just extended until March 26th. So Minneapolis2040.com, get on there and comment. But before you do that, listen to this episode. Uh, And my two guests are from Neighbors for More Neighbors. They are volunteers. And full disclosure, I'm a co-founder of Neighbors for More Neighbors. I had something to do with the clever name of Neighbors for More Neighbors. That's the part I played. It's a great name. Thank you, Britt. Britt Onbach and Even. That's a tricky name. Even, <laughs> yeah, even Roberts. Yeah, I guess we've got like funny accent and um, yeah, different pronunciation. Okay, so we're ready to go. My first question is, uh, I have, I don't know if I'm characterizing this correctly when I talk about it. I've asked a few candidates about it. Like, do you support like increasing uh, the availability of like small shops and restaurants in the zoning code? I'm getting lukewarm responses from candidates, mostly partly because I don't know if they're aware that it's happening. Like it's not on people's radar screen. So it's good. We're talking about this. Well, according to uh, Lisa Goodman last week, the council members also don't really know that it's happening. Um, yeah. We we'll, we'll get it. From, about that. We will get into Lisa Goodman. I was disheartened to hear she's leading the process because that makes me think, well, if she's the lead council member on this, nothing is going to change right but anyway the the distinction between like land the most at the most basic level the disti- distinction between like what people think when people think about the controversial zoning issues it's like how big is the building going to be like how many stories how many people are going to live in this thing but there's another part that's land use uh which is what happens inside the building uh brick can you give us a little that's what this is about, right? What is this about? That's my first question. Yeah. 
So what this is about is that um, in 2020, we changed the built form, which is basically like that kind of how big is it? Where can we have you know, that size of building, that kind of thing. Um, what we're doing right now is we're trying to decide where can we have grocery stores? Where can we have a bar? Where can we have a new restaurant? Where can we have a barbershop? Um, and that kind of stuff. And then also a little bit of like, where can we have apartments? Um, because, you know, some of these rules are about how big the setbacks are, basically how far to your lot line are you going to have to be, or um, how much space can you actually build on a lot, which is usually referred to as floor area ratio or far. Um, but that gets into like really wonky stuff. But basically it's like, can we rebuild the Aldi that just closed in North? Just to sort of add to what, what Brett was saying, um, you can think of zoning as having two aspects. As one is controlling the intensity of what you do with land, um, so the, the built form, how big it is. Uh, and then there's the use. Um, and so that's really what we're concentrating on now. Um, I think it's maybe useful for people to know that like American zoning in Minneapolis is kind of representative of, of what, a lot of what goes on. It's pretty internationally distinctive because um, countries around the world zone. Uh, but American zoning is distinctive in two really important ways. One is the predominance of um, single family housing. Like that's basically a category which doesn't exist uh, to nearly the same extent in, um, in, in Europe, Australasia, Canada. Um, where it did exist, it was rolled back a long, long time ago. Um, and then the other important aspect is the rigidity of the use restrictions. So if you want to open a small grocery store, a cafe uh, in most of Europe, most of Australasia, uh, you know, Japan famous for sort of ground floor commercial, but we're sort of thinking, you know, Canada, Australia, New Zealand are good comparisons because they're built out around the same time, same kind of legal code. Uh, you can do that. Uh, you can convert your your house into a cafe if you want to. There's a there's a legal process for doing that in Melbourne or Sydney or Auckland. Um, here it's ruled out. Same in Germany. Like you can do that now. Are Germans and Australians and New Zealanders overrun with coffee shops? Like rebuilding? Like uh, are we gonna are we gonna see that? No, because people there's a limited market for these things. But there is more of a market than uh, the city of Minneapolis is probably letting on. Um, they are touting that they're expanding where you can build commercial by fifty percent. Uh, but as Brett often says, like. That's going from 3 to 4.5% of the city's land area. Currently, 83% of the city is single family only. So we're expanding from 3% to 4.5% approximately for our commercial areas. And we are still triplexes or less in 83% of the city. So when you say single family only, you mean that's like the reality? Because we, we ended single family yeah. zoning, but it's still the reality okay. that the vast, vast majority of of land use is dominated by single family homes. Oh, as I say, yeah, and the city has sort of retained the uh, to the the built form and intensity aspect. The city has retained the uh, restrictions on how much you can, how the size of the building you can put on a lot in most of that land area, uh, and that was you know part of the compromise essentially with twenty forty was you can build a triplex, but it's going to be limited to the uh, basically you can think of it as like if your lot is five thousand square feet in most of the city, unless you're doing an affordability or sustainability uh, features you can build two and a half thousand square feet of housing. That's a large single family home. If you're dividing two and a half thousand feet into a triplex, that's a pretty small, those are pretty small apartments. So the actual buildable area uh, in um, 
uh, in a lot of the city land area did not increase at all. So the single family zoning thing sounded like groundbreaking and like people's lives are going to be so disrupted. And it turns out not very many uh, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes got built. The ones that did get built, great. But nobody's life was disrupted. And I think uh, I, one of you mentioned how d this doesn't mean like there's going to be 10 coffee shops. If if they liberalized the, the commercial zoning code, it doesn't mean like every block's going to have uh, 10 coffee shops on it. I would like to have, I would like to have two. That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> any, any amount in a neighborhood. Any would be great. I can think of a couple of examples from the meetings, the public meetings I've been watching from city hall. Uh, there was the issue of a coffee shop trying to expand in an industrial zone that is not really functionally an industrial zone because it's all like housing and offices and other retail around it. But for some quirky reason, mm -hmm. the maximum footprint of this existing coffee shop was limited because it's an industrial use. Uh, there's also something else that's been in the news is the, the sex sauna, which is not really a sex sauna, but saunas are categorized as a sex use oh. in the city, which I had never, I didn't know that. Did either of you know that saunas... Or a sexually oriented use and therefore can't locate in Linden Hills, for example? I did not know that. I did know that, yeah. Even knew that. I did not know that. What have you been up to, Even? Well, uh, you know, I knew that because um, this is kind of maybe taking us, but this is kind of a cool diversion. Um, in Australia... Some of the states in Australia and in New Zealand, prostitution is legal. And um, one of the thing, one of the land use issues which they found is like once you've legalized prostitution, our city council is going to do a kind of an end run around that uh, by restricting where you can build build brothels. Um, and so when I've taken study abroad classes, students have seen brothels. Um, you know, they're on the main street in Auckland, and then they've been intrigued about like, well, this is just illegal. And so uh, I had a student who actually <laughs> looked into for an essay, uh, you know, how this was regulated and uh, compared um, sort of the regulation of uh, sexually explicit activities, um, you know, across different parts of parts of the world. Um, mm. Yeah, that's. That's just extremely weird, though, because, like, I'm Finnish, like, I'm, like, my family is Finnish, and, like, saunas are not sexual places. They are places that you're naked, but most often, but they're not sexual. And it's just interesting to me that the zoning code kind of conflates the two things. It's like, if you're naked, you're automatically being sexual. Okay, that's very Minnesotan of us. <laughs> Someone suggested to me on Twitter that it was about, like gay bathhouses in the 1980s and like it's a, it's a just a it's a relic of that era also what what is a rap parlor that is apparently a sexual oriented use and it has nothing to do with rap music uh it, i don't know there's lots of weird stuff in the zoning code maybe it's about rapport i think it's like a like a pickup place it's sexual oriented in in some way i don't know exactly but uh, let's get back on topic what what are we asking for? What are, what are you asking the city to do? Like with uh, the 2040 plan, I think it got simplified to like triplexes everywhere or we're banning single family homes somehow. Like if I'm going to simplify this for someone, are we asking for specific things uh, like coffee shops on every block? 
that would be great. I'd also love to have taco shops at every block. The specific problem that we are seeing is that there are a lot of places where we have like corridor six built form. That means that like we can build, um, you know, up to 84 feet tall buildings, six story buildings. And those buildings are um, located next to bus lanes, which is great. Um, but they are not allowed to have any kind of commercial uses in them because they're urban neighborhood. And we're not asking the city to change the maps or go into all of that stuff. What we are asking for is for them to allow conditional uses, which means you have to go in front of the planning commission and get approval for commercial uses, which people need for their everyday lives. Like if we're going to have complete neighborhoods, Let's actually make complete neighborhoods by allowing conditional commercial uses into urban neighborhoods. Can you give me an example of where this is happening? I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but... It's on my block. <laughs> um, so I've, I've written about this uh, for streets.mn, um, and I also did a couple of zoning walks um, in my neighborhood. But I live close to 48th in Chicago, and I live between like the D line and the orange line. The orange line is on 35W. And the 46th Avenue is all um, corridor. It's corridor six and corridor three. And it's also urban neighborhood, which means that like we are building potentially up to six story buildings next to the orange line, but we're not giving anybody a place to get a cup of coffee while they're waiting for the bus. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, is Chicago Avenue uh, zoned for commercial? So Chicago, so 40th and Chicago is partially zoned for commercial because it is um, like there's existing uh, commercial uses there. And those have mostly been spot zoned to continue to be commercial uses throughout the city um, if they're already there. But when you go kind of like north and south of uh, 40th and Chicago, you get into what's called a goods and services corridor. And goods and services corridors are kind of where the city is saying like, oh, we're going to put this extra one and a half percent of our commercial use on these corridors um, by making them residential mixed use. And what that means is that when you build a new use uh, that has commercial in it, you also have to build housing um, on the same lot. And you also have limits to like 5,000 square feet on that lot. What that means is that you're unlikely to be able to build a grocery store because most grocery stores are greater than 10,000 square feet, including like the tiny Aldi's. Um, and you are not able to just build commercial by itself. So I'm looking at the land use map now and there's a, you can see them, what is it, urban neighborhood. You can see the lines that indicate like the six story urban neighborhood and those lines that are for uh, urban neighborhood six stories what is the urban neighborhood three no no commercial there's a little there's a, an apartment building along the greenway in the wedge where there's been like a, a smoothie shop like a smoothie shop opened in what i don't know what it was before i don't know if they intended to make that but it's weirdly on the interior of the neighborhood and it stands out because you just don't see that and it's not disruptive at all these are very sleepy potentially sleepy uses and you can decide well we're not going to allow any bars for example it's not as though allowing commercial means very high intensity commercial it could be low intensity commercial 
Yeah, and I mean, there's been a lot of focus, rightly so, on sort of groceries, um, cafes, uh, you know, food is important, right? Uh, but being more flexible with our urban neighborhood definitions would allow people to, for example, you know, convert their house into a vet clinic or use the ground floor of their house for doing things like chiropractic work or a yoga studio. Pretty low intensity uses where you can imagine that they don't need to be sort of, um, you know, at the bus stop. It's not it's a, it's a destination in itself to take the cat to the vet or to decide to go to yoga class or get your back adjusted or whatever uh, sort of specific thing you're doing. Um, and the way that the city is structuring um, uh, both urban neighborhood and uh, residential mixed use is. Uh, is not really going to allow people to use their own property to develop small small businesses. Again, like you know, are we going to be overrun by sort of these low intensity uses like vet clinics, which probably aren't going to be very noisy, probably not going to be really smelly. Uh, no, because the market's pretty limited, but it does allow people to use their land pretty pretty flexibly. Um, and you know, this is done as I say in like you know most of Europe and Australasia, uh, people people do this and it's pretty pretty harmless. Uh, and yeah, occasionally you'll see like walking down a street like oh. Um, there's a chiropractic or there's a hair salon sort of on off on a side street and uh, maybe they've got like a, a loyal clientele who know like okay I'm not just going to wander past the salon and get my hair cut I'm going to go to that spot. Um, these kind of businesses don't have a lot of yeah they don't, they don't essentially have a lot of noise or smell um, and those are the impacts which uh, the city is properly most concerned with. The city has gotten itself out of the business of being too concerned about parking. Um, so really we're down to sort of noise and smell uh, as what we, uh, and pollutants, but those are often associated. Um, yeah, so the city's not really a lot of allowing those kinds of conversions of, of existing property to take place. There's a big focus on mixed use in essentially new buildings. Um, is, and only along existing corridors. The other main thing is that like the city will say that they are letting um, people have their home businesses, but they're only letting people have one client at a time. You can only serve one client at a time, um, which is kind of weird if you like have a bakery. So I could have a bakery where I saw one person at a time. I could do that. But not more than five people a day. <laughs> the home occupations is really very limited. You can think of this as like maybe it's a lawyer uh, operating their law practice out of their, their home. Um, and maybe for a lawyer, they only have a few clients a day. Uh, but when with the limit they have of one person at a time, and there's, I think, a maximum of about five people a day for some of these home occupation categories. For, for things that you go through pretty quickly, like cutting a man's hair, uh, you, you quickly bump up against that limit. Um, yeah, and so, you know, chiropractic is another one, um, you know, the sort of simple example where you don't need sort of, <laughs> you don't need specialized equipment and a new building to do that kind of activity. Um, it's unlikely we're going to see, though you do see it in, as I say, foreign countries, it's unlikely we're going to see like a whole whole medical practice like established in an old house, um, but you can imagine sort of um, psychologists, uh, therapists, just the whole range of human services could easily be done out of people's houses. Um, but we're not letting them do it. We're not letting them do it. Another thing uh, which I think is, um, you know, sort of prescribed, not allowed by the, the proposed rules, is sort of uh, um, 
flex working space uh, would have to be in, in new buildings. You could only do it in a fairly limited uh, number of areas under the current current city rules. And I think as we're sort of looking at, you know, hybrid uh, work becoming uh, more common, maybe people go to the office downtown a couple of days a week, uh, there might be increasing demand for people to have like a flex workspace in their neighborhood rather than rather than downtown. Um, and so as the city is really thinking about people coming and going at all times it sounds like a sexually oriented use to me flex work is just code <laughs> for sexually oriented use which is only allowed downtown i'm sorry for interrupting you with my joke here's a question i should know the answer to because uh, i watch too many planning commission meetings so we require commercial in certain uh, like six-story like apartment developments there are some parts of the city where we require commercial development and developers don't really want to do that that's my impression because put housing in there it's more yeah. profitable you can lease it up uh, but there's a lot of vacant new commercial so if we made it so in an urban neighborhood a six-story building in an urban neighborhood three was commercially allowed that wouldn't necessarily mean it's required right Right. So requiring uses means that we are taking away people's flexibility to do things. Um, what we're asking for is make it possible. Um, basically, like people can decide for themselves whether or not they want to start a business um, in their area. Um, but requiring it means that we are setting aside an amount of space, um, usually in commercial areas and you know, because of how concentrated all of our commercial is, um, that area may not have enough people to support the uses that we're requiring, but we may have people in other areas that don't have any commercial access. Um, and, you know, they would love to have that use, but it's not legal to have in their area. And so because of how much we're concentrating things on the corridors, it may be that like we have some places that are overbuilt for commercial and a lot of places that are underbuilt for commercial. Remember the yard, red yard signs where every neighborhood was going to be bulldozed? Do you remember that? I haven't seen any bulldozers. I don't, you know, it's been five years. I would expect to see one by now. I'm looking at the city's website. They have like an italicized important note. The use of every property in the city will not change between now and 2040. These regulations will provide guidance if a property owner proposes changes to the way a property is used. I thought it was funny that the city had to tell people because uh, of the rumors from last time around that all your single family homes would be bulldozed. They had to make, make it very clear the use of every property in the city will not change between now and 2040. I was going to say, yeah, I have, I have seen bulldozers. Uh, I mean, I think one of the um, the things where 2040 really did um, allow a lot more housing is uh, the, the the boxy buildings on main streets uh, and the sort of the, the, the floor area ratio, the intensity you could do, the removal, particularly the parking restrictions, uh, made apartments of sort of four and uh, to even higher uh, viable. And so around the U, uh, you're seeing taller, taller buildings go up. Um, 27th and, and University, you're seeing an 18-story building that got approved um, really quickly by the Planning Commission. Um, it's replace, replacing the Profile Centre. Um, you know, before 2040, that would have been a knockdown, drag it out fight with the with the neighborhood, my neighborhood, because it's like too tall. But this just went through the Planning Commission very, very quickly because it's transit um, transit 15 area. It's near a light rail stop. 
um, they basically didn't have to go through the okay we're gonna it says four stories in the in the zoning code but the city is really trying to encourage you to go even taller uh, there's a lot of ways in which 2040 has liberalized things but what it hasn't done is sort of liberalized development uh, in that missing middle space in an economically and socially socially feasible way um, you really I think it would be difficult uh, economically to imagine making a sort of three unit building where the upper two levels are uh, are residential and there's a viable sort of commercial office space down down below just in anyone's uh, anyone's neighborhood um, because your your floor area ratio uh, controls are going to run uh, into the into the limits pretty quickly uh, if you're trying to get a, like a house which will have you know unit will have enough room for three or four people uh, and a viable office space um, and yeah it really does come down to this uh, this question um, in the sort of neighborhoods of the intensity of use which is allowed yeah but like down here at 40th in chicago like we've had the same buildings um that uh were they took pictures of maybe 1999 uh, zoning code update which is the last time that we updated our zoning code was almost 25 years ago um, you know, those pictures are the same buildings that we have now, and they have different uses in them, but the building is still there. Um, and I really doubt that we are going to be tearing down this, you know, really beautiful kind of 1930s brick um, two-story building anytime soon. You know, people have paid off their mortgages on that building. They're making money on that building. I think what, what Brett's uh, sorry, getting at is really like a lot of commercial spaces already owned by someone. Sometimes they're using it really productively and really well. And there's even though you could build taller in that area, people aren't going to te tear down the building that is perfectly functional at two stories to put in the four story building. A lot of the buildings that do get torn down, uh, you know, they're cheap because they've probably got some problems with them. Like they need major work done to them. Um, and to be you know to be honest about this sort of the stage in the life cycle of like housing in the city we've got a lot of houses which were built a hundred years ago we've got a lot of houses which were built uh, right after world war ii and um you know probably are going to need important work done on them uh, and so as people come to those decisions uh, we're really not allowing people to say i'm going to replace it with something slightly larger the city's rules are really and if you compare the maps of what, where commercial is allowed in 2040 to 1963, it's remarkably similar. There's been very, very little movement uh, in, in where the city imagines commercial spaces could go between 1963 and 2023. Britt, did I hear you correctly that you, you organized a zoning walk with Neighbors for More Neighbors? Yep. That was, I think, last week. And we have a virtual version of it up on our uh, Twitter. So you you would be the right person to ask about people are imagining people are coming in and out of my neighborhood who don't live here. They're parking on my street. I don't like this. And so I don't know if we've talked enough here about the benefits. Why should we want these changes? Maybe we have skipped over the why is this good part because we are three people who mm. just take it for granted that these are good things that there should be places for you to go i think about like we lack gathering places mm -hmm. i don't i we don't do. know any of i don't know any of the neighbors in my building on my block i'm not going into their house those aren't places for me to gather they're not inviting me into their house but if there's like a little bookstore in somebody's first floor unit next to me or if there was more shops on the street yeah. over but uh brit brit tell us why this is good and not bad 
So I live between two um, BRT lines. I live between the D line and the orange line. And along the D line, um, which is where 48th in Chicago is, uh, you know, I can walk over and I can go to like turtle bread or I can go to Sovereign Grounds and I can get a coffee or I can get some like lunch or breakfast and hang out with my friends or like work on something, whatever. But it takes me 20 minutes to get there. Um, and it potentially takes me, you know, even longer. And that is less than a, like, it's like about a mile from my house. Um, and, you know, you could say like, oh, well, that's fine. Like, you can just walk over there. And I'm like, cool. Have you walked this winter? It's really icy. Like, there's a lot of places where I could slip inside and like fall down. And it's not a fun time. It would be a lot better if we had more places closer to people um, where we can go get a cup of coffee or go do whatever we need to do. Um, and allowing more places to have that, you know, five minute convenience or 10 minute convenience instead of 20 minutes or longer, um, means that people will do it more frequently. It also means that if we are adding, you know, two dozen new homes, because we're building a six story building, we're building a three story building, or whatever, um, but we aren't allowing them to have, you know, that coffee shop, that bagel shop at the base of the building, they're going to have to travel farther. And that's going to increase the amount of traffic that we have instead of just allowing us to co-locate homes and businesses um, in order to let people just walk. Um, one of the places that I used to live was actually Manistee, Michigan. And like I lived pretty close to downtown and I would like, it was a pretty small town. It was like maybe 20,000 people. And they had a very traditional kind of downtown where they had several uses, um, several different businesses. And I could just walk over, you know, go next to the river that was there and like go have some dinner and walk back home. And it was really nice. Like it was nice to not have to get into a car to go someplace. You know, and I've lived a lot of places where, you know, you have to drive 30 miles to get your groceries. And that sucks. <laughs> like, it sucks to have to drive half an hour or have to, like, here we are, you know, a mile and a half to two miles from the next uh, grocery store. And we have to drive um, to get there because otherwise it's like crossing the moat that is 35W to get to the 18. And that still takes half an hour. Or, like, walking over to the Lunds on Cedar and 48th, um, which is also, like, a mile and a half. And Lunds is, like, not the cheapest <laughs> grocery store. And I would like to have more options, you know? Like, it would be nice to be able to, like, just go someplace other than the gas station to pick up a gallon of milk. Yeah, I would sort of echo that, the, the sort of creating community spaces. We've talked about allowing commercial, but I think that, um, you know, when we talk about coffee shops and uh, and the like, it really is about that sort of third space where people can can go and meet people in their, in their neighborhood. And we don't have a lot of those um, deliberately because of this 1963 vision of how people are going to get around um, and get to get to places and associate with people. I think if you look at the interesting thing when you look at the zoning code is that in in, in this sort of what they call urban neighborhoods, um, this was the sort of one to three story uh, areas uh, from 2040, you can by right build a civic institutional or church space that's twice as large as you can build a house by right. 
So if you want to build a church or a community center, you can you can do that. But what you can't do is make money from uh, giving your neighbors a place to hang out. And I, and I sort of find that disappointing. It's this very sort of um, regimented view of how we're going to see people in our neighborhood and the kinds of spaces uh, that could emerge. Nothing against um, you know those kinds of uses. If people want to build a church or a meeting hall or something like that, great, go for it. Uh, but I think that's not really the reality of, of life today, if it was even true in 1963. Uh, and so we're not treating the ways in which people could uh, interact with each other equitably. And I think that that's a really large problem. Why are we favoring particular forms of activity uh, in building form in, in neighborhoods where people could gather? Uh, over others. Um, you know, the churches are obviously not that busy, but it does seem very strange that you can build a church twice as large as any housing uh, and you can't build a small coffee shop, which might be open a few hours a week. When I was home visiting my parents, it was really striking to me um, in December. Like There were several neighborhood coffee shops that had popped up around, around the area, which were really catering. They had fairly limited hours uh, in some ways. They weren't open sort of, you know, seven till 10 or anything. Uh, but they were catering to this audience of people who are working from home and they wanted somewhere to go and, uh, you know, just have a break from the day, you know. And so if you're doing that in a five minute walk um, and if people know, like, the coffee shop's open, I'll go and I'll probably see some folks. I'll get out of the house. Uh, that is really all uh, in some ways that this is. It's not, um, you know, this vision of unlimited commerce. It's some greater opportunities for us to meet our wonderful neighbors in this city. All of that sounds fine in theory, but until until you tell me it's going to be near to me that it's happening, then people get upset, right? Uh, Britt, you, yeah. you can say yeah. whatever you were going to say. Oh, what I was going to say is just that, like, if we're going to talk about parking, the day that I have the least amount of street parking is Sunday. Whatever. Is that church day? <laughs> it's church day. Oh. Even are you an atheist? Why did you go on that long tirade against churches? I, I don't I don't have anything against churches. Um, I've learned to, um, I'm a lapsed Quaker, um, is my, oh. my religious belief, so you can, um, you know, interpret that how you like. Um, yeah, churches are great. The church in our neighborhood is a wonderful part of, um, you know, wonderful part of the neighborhood, um, and they're very ecumenical and welcoming of um, the Neighborhood Association and, and other, other things. Um, you know, they, they provide space, but it is pretty, it is limited. Um, other, it's mostly other... just odd that the zoning code prioritizes those institutional uses. And most of the institutional uses are like churches. Like that's the main institutional use um, that is in part of like that zoning code. I was looking at the urban, there's a chart now. I don't know if this PDF existed before on the Minneapolis2040.com website, but there's like a chart of which use can go where. And one of them is parking lot for an institutional use in urban neighborhood one, which is, isn't that the lowest intensity? So big church parking mm -hmm. lot, we might, we'll, we might give you a conditional use there, but uh, the little it, coffee shop or a bookstore. It is kind of interesting that they they changed all of the transportation and like vehicle services to all be conditional. So there's no place yeah. where you can just build them by right anymore, which means that like, you don't have, like you have to go to the planning commission and you have to get approval, which is good in my opinion. Yeah. 
I mean, so like a new gas station, if you've got a gas station on an existing site, <laughs> you're probably going to uh, continue that. But if you wanted to like take a site which is zoned commercial and put in a new gas station, there's, that's going to be harder. And so uh, it's a little bit like they, they are doing some good things um, of making sort of the city more, more walkable of these sort of uses which have an impact on the, you know, the local environment, uh, make it unpleasant to walk. Um, they're, they're giving them more scrutiny. And, and rightly so, um, not going to be impossible. Just going to be going to be harder. I am so glad that we banned drive-throughs. Drive-throughs and gas stations are really just uh, the bane of my existence. Those are terrible blights on any neighborhood. I know you got to fill up your tank. A lot of people drive. I don't, but people drive and they need to fill up their tank if they don't have an EV. But it's just that's not something I want in my backyard. And I have, unfortunately, I have many gas stations in my backyard. The Wedge has many grocery stores, but also many gas stations. I envy your grocery stores, and I my only defense of my local gas station is that I am there enough that I know what everybody who works there looks like, because it's, again, the only place we can go to get a gallon of milk that is within walking distance. I'm sorry. I'm sorry yeah. about that. Does this uh, have a champion on the city council? Uh, who is pushing this? I mentioned Lisa Goodman earlier is when I learned she was like the lead council member on this. It made me very disheartened and like nothing is possible. Nothing will change because she's leading it. Is there anyone on the good side who's like feels passionate about one thing? Like we switched over to a new council. Basically, there's a new council majority with new perspectives. And one thing I think we're lacking is a council member for whom this is like a core belief we need to change this so is anyone going to stand up against lisa goodman who can we count on i don't know that we do have anyone in particular i think that um most of the council this has just been kind of like things that cpet are doing and like we'll hear about it later but now is later um our our comment period is ending on february 26th which is pretty soon here um and, you know, we are expecting that, or I'm sorry, the old deadline was the 26th. I think it's been extended out now to March. Now it's March 26th. And now it's March 26th. But the old uh, uh, schedule had them, like, voting in April. So, you know, they may be voting in May, unclear. Um, but there's, like, there's a relatively short amount of time for the council members to learn about this. And I don't think that that's really on their radar right now. No, I mean, I've had the same experience. Um, I don't think council members are, <clears throat> are particularly engaged. I think members, of, some of the members of the Planning Commission have paid a little more attention. Um, and <clears throat> uh, these changes to sort of, as Neighbours for More Neighbours puts it, allow more uses in more places. Uh, I think has some sympathetic ears uh, on the Planning Commission. I think Chris Meyer uh, asked some questions in that, that, that direction at the last uh, hearing. But uh, it really sort of gets to attention and how we think about Minneapolis 2040 was presented it was sort of pretty radical and 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 we thought like this is big this big progressive change uh 2017 2018 i think if you look at the sort of the landscape of housing policy and zoning reform uh, around the country and around the world uh in a way uh minneapolis is suffering a little bit from being the sort of the first mover in make and, and the triplex thing in the context of american zoning was a big move um, but if you look at Oregon, California, um, <clears throat> Washington has a lot of legislative energy around. Um, there's a bill in, which has been voted out of committee to legalize sexplexes on any lot in the state of Washington. Did you say sexplexes uh, or is that your accent? I, I, 
uh, I have problems with some of these words with my with my accent. Um, don't ask me to talk about porn shops. Oh, porn shops! You and your porn shops. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, the number between five and seven. Um, there's been a lot of movement in other jurisdictions. It's gone a lot further than Minneapolis 2040, uh, and I think that this sort of the zone, the, this update here, really kind of reflects that uh, that we're they're working within a framework um, which is sort of you know was five years old. Yeah, it's five years old, um, and I think that the the, the yeah, really are staff driven, um, for better or for worse. Um, staff work within the orthodoxy of American planning, which they, you know, grew up in and were and learned in grad school. That's great. But there's some ways in which those sort of orthodoxies are rapidly changing um around around mixed use and around housing and some of these things around, you know, four area ratio and and everything. Um yeah. And so Five that I think is old. I know. Um. <laughs> it's five years ago. That means the 2040 lawsuit is also five years old. We're five years into the 10 year plan and we're still suing to stop it. <laughs> uh, does anybody have any hot takes on the 2040 plan lawsuit before we go and we let Britt plug all those boring dates? You know, I, I uh, was helping with some of the, um, the Minneapolis 2040 uh, lawsuit response from Neighbors for More Neighbors. And it's just kind of one of those like, it's gonna take a long time. And the city has um, been mostly kind of going like, well, like we don't really think that this is a thing. Like we disagree with the basis of like, we should even be here. And you know, the thing that Neighbors for More Neighbors has really been saying is that like, not allowing more homes into Minneapolis means that those homes have to go somewhere because people live here. And like when you have kids, those kids have to live somewhere when they're older. Um, or like even, and we have people who move here because it's a nice place to live. Um, if we don't build them in Minneapolis, we're going to have to build them somewhere in the metro area. And that means that, um, we're going to be having more sprawl, more vehicles, mile, like vehicle miles traveled, more of like all of the things that contribute to climate change instead of building more densely inside of the city center, allowing people to have walkable neighborhoods, allowing people to get what they need without having to drive. Um, you know, those are two visions of kind of like where we are going in the next 40 years. And um I would rather have a city where we can get places that we need by transit, by bike, by walking, um, rather than a city where we are pushing people further and further out um, into, you know, places that should be wild, places that should be farms, um, places where we just leave nature to be nature. Uh, my hot take is like, if this is fine to sue Minneapolis, then there's a lot of scope to sue suburban cities for the environmental damage that they're inflicting. Uh, and that way lies chaos. Like the Met Council is not like an ideal institution, but it is, I think, grappling with these issues of population go and asks cities to make these comprehensive plans. Uh, there's a democratic and technocratic process which leads to these. Uh, it's not perfect, um, but it's a good faith effort to grapple with the trade-offs. And if we start trying to litigate these things through the courts with judges who really, I don't think, understand the policy issues and all of the trade-offs involved, 
the collectively, I think that the people who are elected and the you know the policy making officials at Met Council and some of the larger cities in general, have a bit of a handle on some of these trade-offs. They don't always make choices that I agree with, um, but they're, in a democratic way, they're working towards you know, solving these issues. Um, and I think that if we, you know, if we see other cities get sued, I mean, this is a, a vehicle for you know, an environmental organization to sue Lakeville for not allowing more apartments. Um, if we start seeing that on a large scale, maybe we get to a place where the state or the Met Council step in um, and we start to see in Minnesota some of this preemption uh, of city planning, which is occurring in, in a lot of other states. Uh, we haven't seen that uh, to a large extent, uh, but that is a sort of a gathering movement around the country um, <clears throat> to move these discussions to the state level and sort of take it out, of, take some of the control of this out of the hands of local officials who, you know, to some degree haven't grappled with we need more housing uh, and people need a little more flexibility in what they're doing with, with, with their land. Um, yeah. If we move past the idea that the, these are fake environmentalists abusing uh, environmental protection law to, to stop this thing that is actually good for the environment, if we move beyond that, we had a very robust zoning issues and land use issues are some of the most robustly debated, hotly contested issues in local politics you are volunteers with a group devoted to this issue. There are people on the other side who this, this is all they think about and they're trying to stop it. Like, this, And it's hard to change from the status quo. It's very hard to win these political battles. And when you do, it's like, wow, that was more incremental than we thought it was. <laughs> and then you got to do it again and again. And it's so hard to win. And then to have a court step in with a judge who has no idea what he's talking about and he's got a status quo bias, and he's got a picture of himself on a jet ski on his LinkedIn profile, uh, which is the, the 2040 judge has a picture of himself on a jet ski on his 20, and an eagle. I think there's also an eagle on his LinkedIn profile. So if it, uh, just leave it to the democratic process, please. We like the people who know what they're doing, like talk this over for many years before we made any of these steps. We're not, this is good for the environment. Don't listen to the fake environment. The city had two, yeah, the city had two years of public engagement before they passed the 2040 plan. Um, and we are currently in the middle of our public engagement process right now. So uh, there is uh a public meeting, which is happening tonight as we record this, but probably be too late for people to participate um, when it airs. But there is a, um, a public review period until March 26th. The uh, city has a website that has a lot of information about what kinds of changes that they're making, and they're trying to make it more accessible. Um, and they are having a survey um, and a public comment period. Then we're going to be going to the Planning Commission public hearing on April 24th. Uh, then the Biz Committee, the Business Inspections, Housing and Zoning Committee on May 16th. City Council on May 25th. We probably won't see this ordinance published until June. And, you know, it, it's hard to know how long that will actually take to implement. But I do think that the, a lot of the changes that they're making are good. This is the first time we've had made any changes since 1999 in a major way, which is again 25 years. It could be 25 years until we change it again. Um, and you know, by that time, my two-year-old is going to be out of the house. 
So I hope that they have some place to live. <laughs> oh yeah. The important thing with 2040 is it set up some really ambitious goals around the environment, around equity, about opportunity, um, about shifts in transportation and housing. And I think the real tension that we're seeing sort of uh, through this rezoning study and the, the politics, but also the sort of the staff uh, direction around and the staff proposals uh, is sort of this little bit of a lack of follow through. It's putting these specific policies in place to enact the goals that were that were agreed to by the council. Um, that's the sort of the battle here is um, the city has not really followed through on the implications of if we're going to do these things, um, then we have to change these policies in a, in a you know, stronger way than, than, than we're currently currently doing. And you saw that with the sort of, um, with the built form rules, and you're seeing it again a little bit. This, the, the goals talk about, of 2040, talk about complete neighborhoods. Um, but it's hard to have a complete neighborhood if there's a very limited number of places where you could build a grocery store or a cafe. Um, and we got to push the city to live up to the things that they agreed to and that they voted as an adopted city plan that they're going to work towards. That's the stakes here. I, I think that's a good place uh, to leave it. Uh, thank you, Britt Ombacht, uh, even Roberts from Neighbors for More Neighbors. This has been the Wedge Live podcast. I'm your host, John Edwards. This is a real, real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. None of you have the balls to stop. Stop this. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 right now.